welcome to another episode of In The Area Podcast, your weekly source for wisdom nuggets. Today, we sit down with Mike Wheeler, an up-and-coming star in the folk artist world. He is a singer-songwriter and shares stories from traveling across the United States by car, writing music, and making music. The guitar that you are hearing in the background was recorded live in the podcast studio by Mike Wheeler in the beautiful Vail, Colorado. Remember, as a listener of this podcast, you are a worm digging for nuggets of wisdom. Enjoy today's episode. I got to say, so when we met a couple weeks ago, Mm -hmm. we were in a room and and it was in someone's apartment upstairs in Vail Village. Yeah. You pulled out your guitar, you were sitting on the couch, and you started playing and singing an original song. Right. Music doesn't always do that to me, where mm. it's like you hear it live, and then you have like such a visceral reaction, but literally mm-hmm. hearing your voice and hearing you play, and the way you're doing, I think you were like doing stuff dynamically with your voice too. I just, it, it was like, I had just an amazing feeling. Like, so I love, <laughs> well, thanks, I love man. your voice. I love the lyrics of that song Appreciate that it. you were talking about growing up like in a coal mining or not coal mining, but like a uh, mining town. Do you know what song I'm talking about? Yeah. That was one that I wrote with my buddy, John called wildflowers. And I think we were just kind of going for our own classic American road story, just a coming of age. And it, it, we were weaving in some stuff that some history from his family uh, one of his grandfathers worked in a coal mine uh, really close to where he and I have got together a bunch a few years ago in the spring down in Western Kentucky to, to co-write a bunch of material. It's kind of just this slow burn project we've been chipping away at over the last four years or so of mm-hmm. co-writing and recording. Trying to write a bluegrass song nowadays, you can almost equate it to like writing a haiku or a sonnet. There's kind of a set form there that's like, you know, how, how can you contribute to that without mm. just completely ripping off what's come before? Oh. There's still more to say within, within the form of haiku or within the standard just bluegrass themes of mountains and, and heartache and, mm. and drinking and not to mention like the melodies and maybe even like the song form, you know, but just that kind of almost embracing the, limit, the limitations of the form. Wow, and I think that that song was a little bit of one of those kinds of challenges, and it kind of, it came about super late night when he and I were just hanging out, and we kind of thought we were cashed for the the few day songwriting session, and it just started coming to life, and we're like, oh, you know, let's keep going here. That is so cool. So, you, so you're not just a musician; you're also a songwriter. And yeah. Do you feel Do you feel more connected to one of those, you know, actions more than the other? I mean, I definitely the writing side is possibly my favorite so you are when you're writing lyrics you are fitting them to a form ultimately that's the goal i guess i do like to do that yeah i like kind of clean syllable placement yeah instead of just like the kind of random conversational bit that like i'll i'll hear stuff on the radio sometimes i'm like oh like like one syllable will just drive me nuts really yeah and that's one level of listening to music like you're listening kind of critically and technically sometimes yeah yeah Sometimes like involuntarily too, right. where that might just kind of pop up and, oh man, I wish I wasn't such a stickler. Like, I'm even kicking myself right now for sharing that detail. <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> well, no, it's, you're it's, asking, so yeah, yeah, why not? Man, that's but, fascinating. And that's also intriguing to me that you'll just hear, someone will say something in passing, 
but you'll you'll hear like what they're saying. They they have no intention of it becoming a song or becoming a lyric, right? But your 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 mind is like that. Like, are you always are you always kind of on the hunt or like open to like a song lyric or not always? There's definitely times when it's kind of overload and it feels like you know the sensors are like wide open for that kind of thing. Yeah, and other times when it's just you're kind of wondering where the muse is for a few mm. months. Yeah, when do you do but, your best writing? Under what I conditions? Do, I do a lot of my best. I've found in recent years because I spent a ton of time on the road and and did a bunch of solo uh, touring too, which would kind of allow me to just call my own shots schedule-wise. And being in like a crappy motel on the road. Whoa. And, 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 or, it's, or at a buddy's house when I'm on the road, but I've only got a couple hour window. Mm. But I know they're going to be home from work at four o'clock. And it's like, hey man, you know, we'll go out or and I'll come home and cook dinner or whatever it might be. I'm staying in someone's house for a couple of days, but maybe I have that like window of time, two to four p.m. or that noon to five, <clears throat> and something just about that kind of, yeah, wow. that little, especially when being on the road and and not having much space, personal space and privacy to work with, just the little moments that it did pop up would be totally sacred, and wow. just find myself kind of really jumping jumping into it. Then, yeah, it's been weird living kind of stably over the last year. Not that it's been a stable year for everybody. Right. It's been weird. And but by that, you mean just statically, like just staying in Vail and not really traveling? Right, being in the same place, yeah. yeah. And not really having much of a daily schedule for a bunch of the onset of COVID. I thought, oh, all right, here we go. Like this is wow. about to, a whole bunch of writing. But I did probably get a good like new 15 or so songs going in the first <clears throat> six months or four months before gigs started up again last spring, but it just, I don't know, it definitely felt different and it felt harder. Wow. Like I would really have to sit there and kind of wait and wait and wait. Like, oh, maybe a couple more glasses of box wine, <laughs> another joint. Ah, well, there we go. Now, there it's, we go. now it's flowing. Now <laughs> yeah. it's flowing. Well, it's interesting because after college, you had such a, a touring life. Like you lived in so many different places. Can you talk about what that experience was like? Yeah, it was fun. I guess I'm really glad that I went and did all that. Some of it was chaotic. and <laughs> Like how many places did you live right after you graduated? Uh, well, Montreal, New Zealand for a few months, Georgia for a couple of years, the state, um, Augusta, Georgia, Key West for a few months after I left Augusta. And then Nashville for the first time. And then I was in Kentucky for about a year. And then back in Nashville for maybe six months. And then up to Wisconsin for a good year and change. And then back to Nashville again. And now out here in Colorado for a year. <clears throat> um, and it was a mix of music, romance, sometimes both intertwined. Mm. Bands that I was in. It was, it was all kind of just following the work and, and where life was taking me. And did you like that lifestyle of just being constantly moving and being in new places? Yeah. I think, I mean, it was pretty much my mid twenties through my mid thirties, the bulk of that. So that's, that was a pretty good time to do it all. And I definitely never thought being from new England, never thought that I live in the deep South or spend that much time in the Midwest. And, you know, I, most people 
just hop over to the other coast or maybe go to some other huge metropolitan area or even leave the country. But uh, yeah, I was, it was a great experience just to just experience the country and all the different people and all the different areas. Yeah. Just to really like get an appreciation for the simplicity of some places that the first time I drove through, I kind of thought, Oh God, who could ever live like, like what, you know, who could ever live in Indiana, Illinois. And then next thing I'm making some drives. Well, at one point I think when I was living in Nashville and Kentucky, I was, I drove to Wisconsin 14 months in a row or something like that. And that's either all the way up Illinois or all the way up Indiana, just the flattest of the flat, you know, that America has to offer basically um, Kansas aside. But then July rolls around, there's just big, beautiful puffy clouds and the corn is as high as can be. And it's just kind of, you know, just learning to appreciate all those little details about places that I easily could have skipped over under a different set of circumstances. And you've had some powerful experiences just being on the road. Like, I want you to tell the story of that one guy, this, this person okay. that you met. Clamor Ted. I mean, it's just one of the, it's just one of the most awesome things. I don't know. He's just like, I was living down in Georgia up until I moved down to Key West and my family didn't even know if I was living in South Carolina or Georgia, even though I was there for the better part of two years. Like, remember Michael's somewhere? Like, <laughs> they didn't even know. <laughs> and But when I came back and told the Clamor Ted story, that's like all they wanted to talk, you know, that's what my mom wanted to tell her friends about was Clamor Ted. Like, Clamor Ted. Meanwhile, I'm like getting on my feet full-time with music down south and wow. consider that, you know, a feat. But no, like, <laughs> let's talk about Clamor Ted. But I, I can't blame anyone, myself included, because this guy, <clears throat> I'm hoping to see him before too long. Okay, so I moved down to Key West into an apartment, just sight unseen kind of thing, trying to just clear my head after a really gnarly breakup. And a buddy of mine had run a band down in Miami, so he, he tipped me off on the two music spots I should go in Florida, which he said were Lauderdale and Key West. And so I just hit Craigslist and the first apartment that that uh, worked out was in Key West. So I'm like, all right, I guess that's where I'm going. I didn't know anybody. And I think this was maybe, I think it was actually the day after St. Patty's Day because my favorite bluegrass band happened to be in town at the Green Parrot, Town Mountain. I saw them. They did a two-night run. And then the next day I was just wandering around this neighborhood and I come across this beautiful pink Cadillac convertible. And my brother had a Cadillac in high school that he painted all kinds of crazy colors. So I'm taking a picture to send to my brother and over my shoulder, I hear that'll be five bucks. <laughs> and there's Clamor Ted standing shirtless on top of his porch with a straw hat, just <laughs> with like the mutton chops. And Five minutes later, I'm up in his apartment and he's shown me his album of saltwater country songs. He was a former punk rocker turned, you know, he was slowing down in his old age of 50, whatever it was. And he's shown me this stuff. And uh, so the punk band that he ran in New Jersey, it's like Jersey Shore. Uh, I forget which town exactly, but we were up there maybe four or five months later to shoot a music video. And sure enough, I mean, he, everyone's just clamor, clamor. Like he's just a totally known dude around town. The cops, you know, everybody, there's a donut named after him, the clamor delight, what? 
which substitutes Boston cream with custard or something in a Whoa. And he lives in a trailer uh, right on this little lake. He told me that <laughs> I'm, I'm obviously f- like flashing forward, but after a few hangs in Key West, he decided that I should be his guitar player. And I'm like, what have I got to lose? You know, I'm just down here playing gigs, kind of just regrouping. And I didn't, he was just such a character. His stories were nuts. And and he hinted around a little bit at some of the stuff that some guys from MTV had tried making a documentary about him at one point. He played me some of his old the material from his old band in New Jersey called the Clams. <laughs> He's a third generation clam farmer and his microphone stand is a clam rake that he duct tapes the microphone to and you wear clam waders, which are just like big rubber overalls. Wow. And it's really good stuff. Like I've had enough buddies who are really into hardcore and all kinds of you know subgenres of punk and I've definitely dabbled a little bit more in like garage rock kind of stuff. Uh, that I put on into my own rotation, but it was really good. And just, he's just one of these guys that like no one knows of. He's just, if you do, you do, but you know, he's, you can't buy this stuff anywhere. Can't find him on Spotify. No, but he goes out, he travels the world as an Elvis impersonator. Whoa. And so we're in a subway on our way into Soho to go do some overdubs for his songs, like easy pass, kiss my ass. And Dandy Day and the Monster Truck song. And the Monster Truck song was maybe going to be picked up as a theme song for an A&E show. And so, yeah, we went out to this farm in New Jersey on a super hot day, sweltering hot day in New Jersey. And I'd never, (laughs) so I drive down from Vermont. I was back home visiting my family. And he tells me that he lives in a gated community, which was a trailer park. (laughs) And... And he calls it Graceland, his little compound Graceland. Wow. And so I slept on his couch for a couple nights. And then, yeah, we cruised with the top down in this pink Cadillac to this farm in New Jersey. Wow. Uh, owned and operated by a husband and wife with a son and daughter who are now the first sibling, or at the time they were the first sibling uh, pair in monster truck history. And yeah, they painted the side of the the one monster truck Ted Allen Paul band, which it should have just been Clamor Ted in my opinion, but that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he like got a bunch of old high school classmates to come out and we all dressed up in super corny outfits and like waved flags around and, you know, dudes are dressed in boas and straw hats. And, and we shot a music video for monster truck, which you can find on YouTube under Ted Allen Paul monster truck. <laughs> and, So basically the family that owned this farm, which is on a railroad route, it's more of like a industrial railroad route though. So they're like, it's kind of like a shipping center for 18 wheelers and trains. uh, In addition to the monster truck thing that they've done on the side, they were first vetted by A&E to do a wife swap. But then I think when they came out to the compound, they were like, oh, this could be its own show. Because look at this, there's like, the husband and wife and then the son and daughter and And they all work in this one little standalone like building right on the compound. And it just has that vibe, you know, they're all like, it's like big personalities. I I wish I could remember their names right now, but the father and son, it's like, I want to say it's a a senior junior scenario and they're both, you know, six, three, like two twenty plus just big dudes. 
And like the son is now kind of like taking over the reins for the dad. And it just had the makings of like a great reality show. Whoa. Because that was just their world. And Ted, they had a mutual uh, high school friend and they wanted, once they heard the monster truck song, and this was all just kind of coincidence that all this stuff was like coming together at the same time. If the show was going to go through, they wanted the monster truck song to be the theme song and they wanted Clamor Ted to be on the show and I was going to be his band. Whoa. So I might have ended up being like the sidekick to Clamor Ted on this any <laughs> show about a monster truck family in New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. And that was just one of those like. I mean. How are, yeah. <laughs> totally not what I set out to do. <laughs> but I was going to roll with it. You know, it was like I hung on. Well, you, you only get experiences like this if you say yes. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I feel like Clamor Ted, most people wouldn't have. <laughs> Some guy's yelling at you out the window. It'll be five bucks. Who's going to say, all right, let's go hang out in your apartment. You know what I mean? True, true. So so do you think that's like a lesson? Like in these crazy experiences, just say yes and, and follow them where they take you? Yeah, but I guess I would, I would say yes to that with caution because you definitely have to. Luckily, I've only had a couple times where I felt like, whoa, I really should not be here right now. Mm. Out of all the road travels I've done and getting by on a lot of other people's generosity and, but once in a while, I don't know, people just like to make up stories about themselves and oh, yeah. overinflate their importance and tell you that they're going to connect you with this or that person. And, you know, for a little doe eyed newbie to town or whatever, it's pretty, I think it could be easy to, yeah, obviously there's, there's horror stories out there of, of all varieties, <clears throat> but, um, and luckily I never got myself into like a super dangerous situation, but a couple times it was clear that whatever conversation we had just been having at the bar, for instance, was not even close to the truth. And like, Oh God, why am I in this dude's basement right now? Like time to go, honey. Wow. And we're getting a hotel room tonight. Wow. So definitely got to, I guess as with anything, try to keep your guard up and, and at least get some kind of a read on it. In the case of Claimer Ted, he was just so hilarious and so outgoing and, you know, it was the middle of the afternoon. There are other people around in the neighborhood, and it's not like he drove me out to some... He didn't drive me out to Graceland <laughs> the first time. And we got to hang out a handful of times and got to kind of see him around town, put it all in context. But, so cool, man. But yeah, I would say that it's... I mean, that yeah, that that's one of those things. Had I just been like, oh, I don't know, this, is, this isn't really what I'm going for right now, then I could have just missed out on... Hold otherwise up. a totally yeah bizarre once in a lifetime like do you feel like these experiences developed you into the artist that you are now i think so more maybe even more the person that i am now which i guess the artistic side could be a reflection of but yeah i think that instead of being so closed off and i know a lot of artists are very reclusive and i think i've had as much, if not more fun, just kind of enjoying life while I'm out and about in tandem with the pursuit of artistry, you know? Mm. And there are times when I have to kind of allow myself or be like, it's okay, man. You're just like, this is an amazing experience. Like, look where you are. Look at, look at these people you're meeting as opposed to, Oh, I should be really, you know, grinding away, like learning HTML and, you know, revamping a website or designing a shirt or whatever you think it, you know, you see other, kind of ruthless, especially like being in Nashville. There's just some incredibly motivated people. But just, yeah, learning how to embrace 
what really makes me happy and fulfilled the full wow. the full kind of spectrum of it all like who are who are some artists that you've met and through your travels and just experiences that have inspired you well this one guy delaney davidson that i met in new zealand definitely set me out on a like important trajectory in my life um by introducing me to the Steelbridge song fest up in wisconsin how did you end up in new zealand I ended up in New Zealand because I was waiting on a work visa to come through in Montreal. And so that kind of kicked me back down into Vermont for a few months. And I was playing in a bluegrass band at the time and ended up meeting a girl at one of our shows. And she and I started singing some tunes together. And then she gave up her whole kind of like equestrian pursuit that she had been involved in and said, I'm going to go to New Zealand. Do you have any interest in coming down for a little bit? And we didn't have any shows. My work visa wasn't coming through. I was basically bouncing back and forth between Northern and Southern Vermont. So yeah, I jumped on that and we weren't even dating before I went down there. Then we ended up uh, kind of running low on money the last few days. And we were out busking in Queenstown and this, kid from Ireland put us in touch with uh, a guy named Craig Smith, who's known as the wonky donkey man. (laughs) Uh, Another character. And Craig wrote a book called The Wonky Donkey about a three-legged honky-tonkin, rinky-dinky, winky-wonky, honky-tonky-donkey. Just the adjectives (laughs) keep building and building. Wow. We passed through. And he went from being a a pub musician down in Australia and mostly New Zealand to... uh, to doing this children's book and outselling the girl with the dragon tattoo in 2009 in the Southern no Hemisphere. Way. Yeah. And then he, and he was running a compound for kind of uh, work visa kids. Like he had maybe a three bedroom house, but then another like row of kind of houses right below that, right up on a hill looking down over this lake and mountains. Wow. And this kid Landon uh, turned out he had taught for a year close to my hometown in Vermont, even though he's from Ireland and was now in New Zealand and then I had been, I had hitchhiked around Ireland a handful of times. So he and I kind of hit it off. He's like, oh, introduce you to my buddy, Craig Smith. <laughs> Next thing, Craig is offering for Aubrey and I to stay in New Zealand for the remainder of our travel visa. Wow. And that he could book us gigs and put us up and loan us his car and his PA. And Whoa. yeah, it was crazy. So that was another one of those. We looked at each other and was like, Yep. (laughs) And just, so we stayed for the next two months traveling all around to these bizarre little town, like little Southern country towns in New Zealand. And uh, none of the gigs were too fancy, but you'd call up and basically they'd hear an American accent and like, oh, you know, we play like bluegrass and some originals and some old school country, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash. And they'd be like, oh, 500 bucks, room, dinner, breakfast, Awesome. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, definitely, like, probably will always remain, like, the most magical chapter of my life because it just seemed so surreal. We, sh- we would just look at each other and be like, what is even going on right now? Was How it, is this real? Like Lord of the Rings-esque? I yeah, know, like- we were, I mean, from the bedroom, we were looking over the remarkable mountains and the Lake Wakatipu, and that's right around the corner from where some of that stuff was filmed. Oh, my gosh. So it was, yeah, totally once in a lifetime cool type of experience. And then was that was this style of music like bluegrass and folk popular 
in these smaller towns? Yeah, surprisingly. And we had to, we learned a few covers that were like, they're really big into Steve Earle and the Eagles and Willie Nelson. And so we learned Copperhead Road, you know, which I never, I never would have on my own. Not that I, I like Steve Earle, but I, you know, that wouldn't have occurred to me to, to learn and play Copperhead Road. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it was a, it was a cool experience. Now she's a full-time musician and married in Asheville and she's been doing well. So that's, it helps like, you know, kind of get her going on a somewhat, you know, professional musician track. Wow. And it really definitely helped me feel like, okay, I can kind of go anywhere and, and get some gigs and get on my feet. But so this ties back to Delaney because the last gig we did was in Christchurch on a bill with Marlon Williams and Delaney Davidson. Now Marlon, um, if you've seen a star is born, he's the dude that's out there during the Roy Orbison tribute and is like replacing the star or, mm. or he's the up and coming kid who they give the, sh they kind of give the spotlight to because uh, I haven't seen the movie, but because Bradley sure. Cooper is totally fallen to shit. Mm. And, uh, yeah, when we heard Marlon saying we this was back in maybe 2013 or 14, I was like, this kid's gonna be huge. This was before he was big. Yeah, this is just when he's playing a pub a pub gig with a little like the Hound Dogs. I think it was Marlon Williams and the Hound Dogs. What, what was it about him that made you think that he was gonna blow up? It was just complete X factor, like no question, you know. <laughs> and I've had I've come across a couple of people when they like before they. Blew up. Marcus King was another one. Hmm. We were on a bill with him in Atlanta, and it was, I don't know, maybe three or four months before Warren Haynes scooped him up. And I remember just the first note looking at my buddy. We're, they're playing to like us, the other guy-girl couple, some middle-aged guy who was, like, super stoked <laughs> like, on, like, a Tuesday. And, yeah, I just remember looking at my buddy Taylor and being like, this kid is the real deal. Like, he's going to be huge. Wow. Um, not to, we, that that was just my gut instinct, you know, but, um, but yeah, there's so many peers, give or take a few years that are like working so hard, you know, they're talented, you've heard their name, but then when someone comes along, they're like really young and you can just tell, I think. It's yeah. Just, yeah. There's something, there's something magical or special or different. Yeah. That you pick up on. Right. X factor. Like, you, yeah. It's, it's yeah. And that, that felt, that felt this way with Marlon and, when we got back to the States, he moved over to Australia a couple months later and was quickly kind of becoming the man in the Melbourne scene and, you know, running nights and like clearly a bunch of the local musicians were kind of coming into his bands. And then next thing you know, he's out doing international tours and then he's on a star is born. Wow. Pretty quick, you know, yeah. climb. Um, but yeah, so that last show we did was the duo that Aubrey and I had called crying wolf Delaney Davidson, who was kind of a mentor to Marlon more than kind of a mentor, like absolutely a mentor. They had done a number of uh, co-written albums together, this very kind of like cool westerny, dark bluesy, noir kind of stuff. And yeah, we linked back up with Delaney in the States a few months later when he was when he came up for a bunch of shows. And uh, we did a couple shows with him in Vermont and a couple down in Georgia. And I was driving him to, I had to go pick up a car and went down some back road in Vermont and he's like, Oh, this reminds me of a little bit of Wisconsin. <laughs> and I was like, Oh man, I've never been there. You know, my mom's from Michigan, but, um, and then he's like, Oh, there's this great songwriter festival there. I reckon you'd be a good fit for it. 
And so Aubrey and I split up not too long after that. And that was just kind of one of those, like, in the back of my mind, hey, I'm going to need to start fresh, like, find a whole new scene. I don't know that I want to go back to Vermont. Sounds like this might be a cool thing to go try out. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm heading out there next week. But, like, if it wasn't for Delaney, I spent a better part of a couple years there and, and took part in this uh, seven or so of these events up at the Holiday Music Motel in Sturgeon Bay. It's a, a triannual songwriting event put together by Pat McDonald, who is known as the uh, half of Timbuk3 and uh, his one, you know, his biggest hit is My Future So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades. Mm. But he was, he still is good buddies with Jackson Brown and He's kind of, you know, an unsung hero type of guy, amazing songwriter. And he had done a, a songwriting festival in France that was more industry curated. It'd be Pat McDonald, Kenny Chesney, and Cher. And they would like put him in a room and, hey, guys, write a song. Or, Got it. Or maybe not two stars, maybe more like two people of Pat's caliber, you know. Right. Other signed artists. <clears throat> so then he kind of took that model and they ended up buying this motel in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. Actually, like, saving the motel via the festival. Wow. And bringing in, my first year, I think there were 70-plus artists, but then they started, they quickly whittled it back. I think that was the, the most that they'd ever had. And this is maybe their 14th or 15th year. And it's, yeah, basically 45 songwriters in a motel for nine days. You spin the bottle, you get put in groups of three, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and then you can co-write at your leisure off to the side. So if you and I were, you know, we're both not busy and, hey, let's, hey man, you want to go try out writing a tune? That kind of thing. Um, That sounds awesome. Yeah, and they set up studios in the motel. No one else is allowed in or out. I mean, well, we're allowed out. (laughs) (laughs) We're allowed out to one of the many little dive bars and cafes Uh, in that town there. But yeah, so, so yes, I guess, the question was, have you met anyone along the way that, right. you know, and, and Delaney, he opened a nice little portal for me. That's amazing. Yeah. Full circle there. Yeah, totally. I mean, literally other side of the planet and back wow. yeah. kind of thing. That's special, but, man. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like these artist workshops and these writing workshops provide inspiration for good music? Like, is it actually something that people should consider going to if they want to write cool music? Yeah, I mean, I guess cool music is subjective. But, well, okay, but, <laughs> okay, yeah, you know what I mean. Like no, music. for sure, yeah. Yes, the answer would be yes. I think I've definitely seen some people come through Steel Bridge and, and not have a good time. It's not for them. Mm. And there are even a couple, like, of the bigger names. Not that I'm going to name anything, but there's this one guy who is, like, pretty well-known. <clears throat> the first year that I came... And uh, apparently he just, it was like a nightmare for him to have to sit there and, you know, listen to other people like say how the song should go. And Hmm. some people I've talked to just do not want to co-write. I love it. Talking about all this traveling around, living on the road, I was kind of thinking back on it a little more. There's definitely been just brutal, brutal bottom out moments where like, what the hell am I doing pacing around this town again? And I thought I had friends here, but it's also a Tuesday in, you know, January and like it's four o'clock. I don't really feel like bugging anyone, but the sun's going down 
And then, yeah, maybe you get that like couple hours alone and it's just, just this whole sense of this cathartic release of whether it's putting that feeling to paper or just the, the transcendent power of music certainly applies to songwriting too. And I think that almost more than just sitting down and playing through a song, when you sit down and write a song, it can just be this total transformative experience. Wow. Especially when you're happy with it and then you kind of look back, even if it's just you get that nugget of that that verse and chorus down and make a voice memo or something and listen back and run through it a few times. It's like I've definitely leapt out of my chair with my hands in the air and just been gone from being totally bummed out a couple hours previous to like, whoo, you know, <laughs> nice. I have purpose. Wow. Like this day wasn't a waste and, Whoa. and wow, how cool. I mean, it's, yeah, I say all the time, like music's the closest thing we have to magic. And I think that will always, I'll always feel that way. So, yeah, I think it's, I know for a lot of song, singer-songwriters, it's kind of comes out of a place of necessity, I think, for maybe a composer. They have so much constant orchestral-type music going on in their head that it's almost more of a channeling of what's already there. I think it's different for different brains. Hmm. Um, but I'm just curious, generally, what your philosophy on life is. Like, mm -hmm. what are you ultimately orienting towards? One of the things that I am kind of holding out for, and I'm just getting a taste of now because I'm 35 and getting to the point where there's up-and-comers who I can share advice and wisdom with, especially in the music world, if not just life in general. But I know that for me, the, imp the importance of mentorship and those few people along the way who made it seem possible to do what I'm doing now, that was that's like the ultimate gift. And so to just be able to give that back, that's that to me is kind of the, would maybe be the singular answer, but yeah. Wow. So there've been people along the way that have been the source of your reason to, to do music and to keep going and to push through. Definitely. Um, it's not just one person and it's, and it's so again, back to the situational factor, you know, I think it'd be nice to, well, even hearing myself try to answer this question, I guess I'm realizing that, yeah, I, I want to be able to positively influence people. And that ultimately comes about, at least in the journey that I've experienced, comes about as a result of trial and error and just trying to pass along the, the wisdom accrued during that the whole wild kind of roundabout journey that I've been on, which I wouldn't take back for a second. But I think, I know I get excited when I'm, I'm sharing some of these do's and don'ts with an 18, 19, 20 you know, year old kid and just seeing the eyes light up and just like hoping that he hangs on to a couple of these things and maybe doesn't make a couple of the same mistakes. Wow. At the same time, hoping that they do make <laughs> some of them you know, for their own benefit and growth. But yeah, I think that's, um, that would be the ultimate just return of the gift, regardless of like notoriety and success, would it just, to just kind of know, maybe, and I don't even have to know, but it'd be kind of nice to, you know, have that kid come knocking or whatever and say, Hey man, you know, you really like helped me on my journey. Cause I've, I've definitely tried to celebrate my mentors in that way. Maybe not over the top, but you know what I'm saying? Just kind of at least pay a little tribute and, and thank them for, for doing that. So I think that would be the ultimate reward. Wow. 
Well, Mike, that was a beautiful answer, man. That was really incredible. And Thanks, uh, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Yeah, and uh, before you go, I would love if you could play a little tune or just whatever you're feeling right now in the moment, just to bless us with uh, something. Now I'm brought to my knees by simplicity. Or a couple of changes in the day's degrees. I got us separated. Jesus, all been graded. Do what I pretend I hate until I fade it off to sleep. And the cat's just looking through the dusty shades on the window pane. That's the boxing glove. At the thing he loves But he hasn't got the fire today No, he hasn't got the fire They say the broad side of the barn Isn't quite as bright If you hit it right It's sleep bowling night Laughing at your purpose Change your name to worthless And you get lucky passing time With your name up in the lights And the cat's still looking through the dusty shades On the window pane Past the boxing gloves At the thing he loves But he hasn't got the fight today Got the fight. My friend and I went looking for a peace of mind in a dream. I think ran out of drinks, found the missing link. When disaster strikes, steal back our bikes, right off to the likes of where I cannot sing a thing. While the cat sits looking through the dusty panes on the window shade Past the boxing gloves and the morning dust But he hasn't got the fight today So he hasn't got the fight today No, he hasn't got the fight